We're in this series on the parables of Jesus that we just started, and uh, today we're going to take on another one, uh, and this is the, the story of what we call, anyway, the unmerciful servant, the unmerciful servant. That's the title that we give to this story that Jesus told. And I'll get into that in a couple of minutes, why that's sometimes a problem that we refer to it by this title. But remember, as we looked at last week, that the parables of Jesus are often misinterpreted. Um, probably the only piece of the Bible that's more misinterpreted than the parables of Jesus is the book of Revelation. And, and what we do is we go to the parables and we try to add this mystical layer to them as if they have some kind of mystery thing that only Christians can understand, but everybody else doesn't get it. And it's like it's a big mystery. Jesus is trying to make it deliberately in some sort of secret code that only some people can understand, but some people can't understand. And really, that's not what the parables are. They're, they're a story that Jesus told to illustrate a point. They usually have a punchline, and he, he actually makes it very simple for people. But for people who have a hard heart, for people who are not willing to receive the message of the kingdom of God, the parables of Jesus are like, they're like riddles. They're like, they don't mean anything. They don't have any impact. They don't have any lasting um, uh, touch in the person's life, okay? And this is what Jesus is talking about uh, in the parable that we covered last week, the parable of the sower. So just some tips for you again. You always want to resist that kind of weird allegorical interpretation. You know, this person in the story equals this, and this person in the story equals that, and, and and have all these kinds of, you know, if Jesus allows you to put an allegorical interpretation in there, you do. But most of the time, he doesn't. Most of the time, these things aren't, you know, big mysteries or anything like that. You just have to get the point. Remember to read it in parallel if you want more understanding. What do I mean by that? If the parable is told in Matthew... And you also can find it in Mark or Luke or John. You want to read it in Mark or Luke or John as well. Because that will give you a greater understanding of what Jesus is trying to teach. Some of them are in parallel. Some of them aren't. The one that we have today has a little tiny chunk that's also in Luke, but most of it is in Matthew, right? But try and read it in parallel. Sometimes Jesus does the work for us. He, he interprets it for us. He says, this is what I mean by this, and this is what I mean by that. And he will do that uh, often. Today, it's quite clear, you'll see in the story of the unmerciful servant, it's very obvious, what is the overall point? It's like a joke that someone tells in the modern age. What's the punchline? What's the point that he's trying to get across? What is the overall truth that he's trying to teach? And that's really what you want to do when you read these parables of Jesus. So we're going to look at the so-called unmerciful servant today. You're going to find this in Matthew chapter 18. Um, I'm going to start it where nobody really starts it. I'm going to start it from verse 15 because that gives you the broader context of this story. Usually when people start the story, they, they start it at verse 21. I'm going to start it back in verse 15. You also see a tiny little chunk of what Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 17 verses 
3 and 4. A little chunk of it is there, all right? But I'm just going to read the, read the story straight through. And remember, you're looking for the punchline, all right? But I'm going to give you the broader, broader context and then ask a couple of questions and get you participating today. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. You say, that's not the parable of the unmerciful servant. Just wait and you'll see. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's from the Old Testament Mosaic law from Deuteronomy. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. Church is the ecclesia, the meeting of the people around Jesus, the ecclesia, the church. If they refuse to even listen to the meeting of the people, the church, the ecclesia, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. You say, that's not the parable of the unmerciful servant. Hold on. Again, truly, I tell you that if two or three on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three, note that two or three, two or three witnesses from the book of Deuteronomy, two or three agreeing who have authority, two or, where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Again, after this little, this little message that Jesus gives, Peter comes to Jesus and he asks a question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answers, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times seven. Or in some translations, 77 times. Doesn't really matter. And then he gets into the story of the unmerciful servant, as we call it. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000, in this translation, bags of gold. This would be, back in the, the language that's used in the New Testament, 10,000 talents. And a talent was about 20 years of a laborer's wage. So 10,000 of 20 years of a laborer's wage. 200,000 years of a laborer's wage is what he owed the king. Are you with me so far? See, that's a lot of money. Indeed. And so the man who owed this money to the king was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, duh, says the audience listening to the story, the master ordered that he and his wife and children, not so sure how many children, but probably more than one back in those days, and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, as if that would even repay the debt. So this guy is going to lose his family, 
because he obviously cannot pay his debt. And you can see the, the audience around Jesus saying, well, duh, that's obvious. Like he's in huge, huge trouble. This is an unpayable debt. It's 200,000 years of a laborer's wages. It's millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in today's uh, terminology. So what does a servant do? What do you think he's going to do, you know? And here's Jesus telling the story. So at this, the servant fell on his knees before the king, and he, and he begs him, be patient with me, as if any amount of time is going to help him repay the debt. Be patient with me, he begged, and, and I will pay back everything. Yeah, right, 200,000 years of wages. I'll pay back everything. Please be patient with me. He's begging. He's going to lose his wife. He's going to lose his children. He's going to lose everything he has. And so he's in front of the king. He's in front of his master. And what does the master do? I mean, the master, I suppose, could say, no, you owe me. You borrowed all this money. You wonder to yourself, how did he borrow all this money? Well, that's, it's a parable. It's a story. Jesus is trying to get to a punchline. You're not supposed to really wonder how did he borrow all this money. You just know he has a debt that he, it's impossible. It's an outrageous, it's an unpayable amount of money. And here you have this guy begging, saying, I'll, I'll pay, I'll pay. Don't take my wife. Don't take my children. Don't sell them into slavery to try and get money. Please, he's begging, he's begging. And he falls before his knees and he says this to him and what does the servant's master do he takes pity on him and he doesn't just say all right I'm going to give you a payment plan I'm going to give you a lower interest rate I'm going to open up a special line of credit for you I'm going to cut half of your debt I'm only going to sell one of your children you can keep half of your children, but the other half I'm going to sell. Uh, your, your wife, I'll sell her too, but you can keep two of... He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, your debt is canceled. Wow. I mean, and you can just see the audience listening to Jesus tell this parable and say, wow, that's... I mean, that's his lucky day. Imagine this this man. He just... It's, it's, it's all of this is... is what 10,000 talents it's a ridiculous thing like this guy should be so happy I mean imagine if you were this guy because they all owed money to somebody they didn't know that amount of money but here you have this amount of money being canceled and wow he just won the 649 I mean he just he his whole life has just been given right back to him imagine he must be so so happy imagine this guy he takes pity on him and cancels the debt lets him go but verse 28, and here's where it takes a, a change, the story. When that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, in my translation, or in the Greek language, a hundred denarii. And a denarius was a, about one day's wage. So he finds somebody who owes him about three months' wages. Imagine, he just was forgiven of 200,000 years 
of wages, and he finds someone who owes him a mere three months of wages. He finds him, he grabs the man, and he starts to choke him. He's got his hands around his throat, and he's choking this man. You can just see the audience around Jesus. I wasn't supposed to give any commentary, but too bad. So you can just see the audience around Jesus going, what's wrong with this guy? He's, he's choking him. He's got his hands on him. He's being violent with this guy. He had just been forgiven of an unpaid. What's wrong? You, and they're looking. They're saying, this is some crazy story. What is the point of this weird story that Jesus is telling? He's got everybody right on the edge of their seat trying to figure out what's the punchline of this story. He grabs him. He chokes him. And he says, Pay back what you owe me. Squeezing the life out of him, you know. And his fellow servant, he falls to his knees just like the other guy. And he begs him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. Same thing that, that the other guy said. Be patient with me. Like, stop choking me. Be patient with me. I'll pay it back. It's only three months wages. I mean, theory says he could probably pay it back. But he refused. And the audience is, what? How could he refuse? He's just forgiven 200,000 years of debt. And he refuses. What's wrong with him? How can he do that? And they're wondering, what's the punchline here? Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. Maybe he's doing labor or something. Maybe he's making license plates. I don't, we don't know what he's doing, but there's some kind of labor. He'll throw him into prison and make him work for it and make him, I want my three months wage back that I loaned to that man. And he puts him in prison. Wow. So what happens? Well, the other servants, when they hear about this, Jesus says, as he continues his story, they were outraged just like the audience who's listening to Jesus' story. They're going, we need to do something with this guy. I mean, what's wrong with him? He's, what kind of crazy person? He must be so, what's wrong with this man? So the, the, in Jesus' story, the other servants, they see what happened. They're outraged and they went and they go to the boss. They go to the master. They go to the top guy who had forgiven 200,000 years of unpaid debt. They go to him who canceled the debt of that man who owed an unpayable amount and they go to him and they say, let me tell you what happened. Let, let us tell you what we just saw. And they give the scoop to the master. And so the master is going to respond here. Verse 32, the master calls the servant in. And he says to the servant, you wicked servant, I canceled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed, as if he's ever going to pay it back. And here's the end of the, of the story. This is the words of Jesus. 
This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. End of story. And the microphone drops at that point in the audience. This is some, some really, really dramatic story. I read the, the earlier part before Peter's question because you have to appreciate the context. The context is about forgiveness. How do people forgive one another? How do people deal with sin within the kingdom of God, within the household of faith, within the community of faith, within the ethics of the kingdom of God that Jesus is teaching about? How do people deal with sin? In, in uh, Luke's gospel, you will see just a couple of verses here. Uh, you also see them in Matthew a bit earlier, and so this is probably a parallel. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. He may be talking about children there. We're not entirely sure. So watch yourselves, and here it is. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. And even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Wow, I mean, the ethics of this are really, this is a high, high bar that's being set here. And Jesus lays out this whole thing in Matthew 18. This is what happens. If, if, if you have someone who sins against you, and you could put this in the context of the, of the community of faith of the church, but you can do it outside of the church. These principles will work it, with an unsaved person, with a non-Christian person. The principle will also work. You go and you show that person their fault. They sinned against you, you go to the person. No, you don't go to Facebook. No, you don't go to social media. No, you don't go and gossip about it. You go to the person, and he says, just between the two of you. This is the ethic of the kingdom, just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. If he repents, forgive him. Same thing. If he listens to you, you've won him over. But if he won't listen, if she won't listen, then you've got to start to enlarge it a little bit. Then you've got to do just what Moses said. You take two or three, remember the two or three, along with you so that, the, so that there's two or three witnesses. And you confront the individual. You've enlarged it a little bit with two or three and with you. You don't go and tell them to do it for you. You go with them, and you, now they wouldn't listen to you, so now maybe they'll listen to you plus two or three others. Do you see the sequence there? And so they go, and, they, and it's still no, the, the person still doesn't listen. Now you tell it to the whole community. You tell it to the whole community of faith. Implicit in this might be in a meeting, you point it right out and you say, this person over here, and you say, that sounds really, really harsh. This is what Paul did in Corinthians. You have a, a, a Paul's letter to the Corinthians. You have a man who's in a relationship with his stepmother. It's a rather ooh, touchy, touchy kind of thing. 
And Paul calls it out in front of the whole, it, it, in the letter he calls it out, and he says, now you need to put this person out of the assembly because they're unrepentant. So all of these things have happened to this guy, and now he's in front of the whole assembly, and they say, put him out because he is unrepentant. This is Paul writing to the Corinthians. So you see him practice this very same thing. Put him out. Treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector, as if he were an alien to the fellowship, as if he was not a believer. That's how you need to treat him. And in Paul's view, this would help the individual because he would eventually come to his senses. And actually in in Corinthians, you see that he does, and you see Paul says, forgive him. Uh, Even though I'm not there, I'm there in spirit. You need to forgive this man. It's a really interesting story. If you dig in Corinthians, you'll see it. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We use that for all kinds of things, right? But in context, it's about dealing with this kind of, this, this, there's sin here, and how do you deal with it within the kingdom? There's definitely authority that's being, being talked about here. Uh, Jesus talks about this in Matthew 16 as well. If it means anything, it certainly means authority. Again, I tell you, if two or three agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. In context, this would be when the two or three have to confront the person. Now, we use it for all kinds of things. we got a small meeting, and only a couple of people come. We say, oh, Lord, where two or three are gathered, there you are with them. And we use it that way. I'm not saying it can't be used that way. But in context, it's used. Jesus is saying you have to do the hard work of confronting this sin because in the kingdom there's an ethic of of, uh, uh, forgiveness and repentance that I want you to know about. And sometimes it gets hard, but you need to know that I'm with you when you've got to go through that process. I'm with you. This is in context, this is what he's saying. Not saying it can't be used other, but in context, that's what it's saying. And then Peter asks the question, wow, how many times do I have to forgive this person who sinned against me? It's a pretty high bar you're setting, Jesus. How many times do I have to do that? That's the context. But we need to ask the question before we get to the punchline, what does forgive mean? What does it mean to forgive? Jesus is teaching about forgiveness clearly, but what does it mean? And here's where I'll open it up to you. If you can let me know what you think forgiveness means and you want to play along online, you can post your answers on Facebook or YouTube and we'll publish them in the stream as we can. But give me some answers. What does does it mean to forgive? To To show love to them, okay. Restart as if nothing happened? Okay, interesting. Come on, don't be shy. The people on Facebook aren't shy. What does it mean to forgive? What, what is forgiveness? Show love to the undeserving? Okay. Not feeling angry towards a person? Okay. All of you have been sinned against. All of you have, have, have thoughts about forgiveness. What is it? Letting go, of anger. Letting go of anger. Okay. Anybody else? No revenge. Okay, interesting. 
Humble yourself and love no matter what. Okay, interesting. We have all kinds of ideas about what it is. Let me tell you what it's not. And these are some ideas about forgiveness that are not true. Forgiveness is not forgetting. We, all, we say forgive and forget. If I've forgotten about it, that must mean I forgave the person. No, it means you have a bad memory. It, the two are not the same. Just because you've forgotten doesn't mean you've forgiven. And, you know, people say, well, God, God throws your sin into the sea of forgetfulness. Please show me where that is in the Bible, the sea of forgetfulness. I can't find it anywhere in the Bible. People say, well, God says, I will remember your sins no more. He does say this through the prophet Jeremiah. What is he saying? He's saying, I will not hold your sin against you. I will remember your sin no more. As if God has a bad memory. I mean, God can rem- he, doesn't, he doesn't lose his memory with age, right? So this idea of, well, if, I for- if I've forgotten about it, then I've forgiven. No, not necessarily. You may never forget what he did to you, what she did to you, what they did to you. You may never forget. And it may be a good thing that you never forget. But you can forgive. Even without forgetting, you can forgive. It is not condoning. To to condone the sin means it's okay for the person to sin. I don't know how many times I've I've said it, but it it always rings true. Never say it's okay when someone sins against you. Never brush it off and say it's okay. Because when you told them it's okay, it made it okay. Okay? You just said it's okay, so it's okay. What you just did when you said it's okay to the person is you said it's okay to do that to me again because you just gave them permission to do it again. You told them it's okay. Okay? That's condoning it. You don't condone it. Jesus didn't say condone it. He said go to the person directly. Go right to them. Rebuke them. Your brother sins against you. Rebuke them. Now you do so (laughs) with wisdom, But he doesn't say, just brush it off, it's okay. He never says that. It's not ignoring it. Oh, well, it didn't happen. I'll just ignore it. I'm a Christian. I'm a super Christian. Nothing affects me. Nothing harms me. It just brushes off. Like, Like water off a duck's back. Sticks and stones will never hurt me. I mean... This is ridiculous. That's ignoring. Jesus never said to ignore. Never does he say that. In this whole thing, this is not ignoring at all. So it's not forgetting. It's not condoning. It's not ignoring. I'm going to give you a definition that you've given a little bit of, little pieces and parts of, that's going to sound a bit bizarre to you. This is what forgiveness means. It's releasing your justifiable right for personal vengeance against that person or those people. See, that sounds really technical. It is technical. You release your justifiable right. You have a justifiable right. The man only owed him 33 months wages. He had a justifiable right to demand back those three months wages. The man who owed 200 thousand years of wages well 
The, the man had a right, the king had the right to demand it back. He had a right to. It's a justifiable right. There's a story that just happened, a tragic, tragic story that happened in uh, Montreal in the West Island just within the last 10 days or so. And a 16-year-old boy was stabbed to death outside of a high school. Do you know this story? It's, it's been in the news. To, uh, the shock of the school. There's uh, one of the families of our church, not here today, but uh, the, the, one of the sons uh, attends the high school and knew the boy. The boy was, as I was told, was stabbed in the back and was murdered. And another person was stabbed. The, the, uh, the, the person who did the stabbing is now facing second-degree murder charges um, among, amongst a whole series of charges, also uh, a teenager. That, the mother of that child who was murdered on camera after the murder, the first thing that she said in her state of grief was, I forgive that boy. I couldn't believe it as I watched her say that. She just lost her son. She has a justifiable right to go and find that little monster who stabbed her son in the back and choked the life out of him. Wouldn't you? feel that justifiable right if it was your child who was stabbed in the back by this little this little monster and she said I forgive him he's just a child they're just children they don't even know what they're doing it's so sad these are the kinds of things that she said you know what I don't even think that that person I don't know her life at all. I don't know the family. I don't know. I'm foreign to it. I just know somebody who attends a school and, and played with the child who was murdered. I don't even know that the mother is a, is a Christ follower. And yet she practices the ethic of the kingdom. And she may not even be a Christ follower. The first thing that came out of her mouth on camera in her grief was, I forgive him. Wow. Justifiable, right? For personal vengeance, absolutely. And it's released. I won't take advantage of my right to take personal vengeance on this person. That's what forgiveness is. And you see it in all phases of life. You see it in marriages. When marriages operate on vengeance. You say, well, that sounds so horrible to say a marriage operates. Yes, most marriages operate on vengeance. Because most marriages and most close relationships are, you do this for me, I'll do this for you. But if you do this against me, I will do that against you. If you don't give me what I want, I will not give you what you want. As long as I get what I want, I'll give you what, I, what you want. And there's a, there's a delicate balance. But when one partner, one spouse says, I'm not playing the game anymore, then you see the vengeance start to come out. And you see they're attacking one another, and their relationship is based on vengeance. It's not based on forgiveness. So it can be in all phases of life, not just something like a murder of a teenager. When you release your right to get personally even against those people or that person who you have a right to get even with, when you release that right, you have forgiven that person. You say, but that's not fair. Who gets even with that person? Tell me who. 
Who gets even with that person? God does. That's why he says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay. And that's in the Old Testament, my friends. They even got this in the Old Testament. When you release your right, yes, you have a right. You have a, absolutely, you have a right. But when you let it go and you say, I'm not, I have the person in front of me and I could choke the life out of them. But I won't. That's forgiveness. It's the ethic of the kingdom. And here you have this story with this unexpected twist of an ending. Because the way that everybody wants it to end is that the guy gets the, gets the one who owes him money. He's got th- only three months. And you say, oh, this is obvious. He's going to forgive the other guy's debt because he just got forgiven of his debt. So he's going he's gonna to show the ethic of the kingdom, and he's going to say, I forgive you of your debt, and it's a beautiful ending to the story. It's a Hollywood ending, you know, and everybody's got tears in their eyes. They say, oh, what a beautiful story. But Jesus, he changes it, and he puts a twist on it, and he paints the guy who owed all the money who is forgiven as a bad guy, and he says, this guy, he's not changed by it at all. He's not, he doesn't even say thank you. It doesn't even say in the story that he said, oh, thank you, Master, for forgiving my 200,000 years of debt. Oh, thank you, Master. I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful. I'm just worshiping God. I'm just jumping up for joy. Nope doesn't say anything like that. The first thing the guy does is go and find somebody else who owes him money. So obviously the audience is saying, yeah, that's no problem. He'll just forgive the debt. But Jesus, he puts a twist in it. He says, no, he doesn't forgive the debt. He chokes the guy, grabs him by the shoulders, moves his hands up to the throat and chokes him. You pay me back what you owe me. He's a, he's a terrible, terrible man, this person who's been forgiven. He ha- he's not changed by it at all, at all, at all. We get all upset by the punchline of Jesus. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, that's so unfair. That's so unfair what happened to that guy that they threw him in prison and, you know, his life is finished. That's so unfair. No, it isn't unfair at all. The man showed absolutely no change, no gratitude, nothing happened to him after he was forgiven of a totally unpayable debt. His wife and children on the line, he's forgiven, and there's not one iota of blood in his veins. His heart is like stone. And he goes and finds somebody who wants to choke the life out of him for a measly three months wage. It's like pocket change compared to what he had just been forgiven of. And this is what Jesus is teaching. And he's, tr- he, he's got them on the edge of their seats with this because emotionally it creates this turmoil inside the audience. It's exactly what Jesus wanted because he wants people to examine themselves after he tells a simple little story. He wants people to think because he, he, he makes you identify with the person who didn't forgive. He wants you to inspect yourself. And he says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you. 
Are you that person who doesn't forgive? This is what he's asking. Be careful. You thought you knew how the story would end. It ended differently. Are you that person who refuses to forgive? Are you that person who's trying to choke the life out of that one who owes you? Maybe you're justified in taking personal vengeance, but are you? Didn't you have a debt that you couldn't pay? These are the questions we have to ask ourselves. What is our unpayable debt? Tell me. Sin. That's the unpayable debt that we have to God. It's our sin. This is the central truth of Christianity. The truth of Christianity is not that God wants you to be happy. That's not the truth of Christianity. The truth of Christianity is God wants you to be holy, not happy. You may be very unhappy, but you'll be holy. You'll be forgiven. And when you're forgiven, you start to have even greater than happiness. You start to have joy because your sin, your unpayable debt to God has been forgiven. He doesn't want you to be successful. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be set apart for him. This is the truth of the Christian message. It's about the forgiveness of sins between you and God. Say, that's so unfair. How could God be so mean because of my little sin? Well, because he's God. Because he's God. So when you, when you sin, when I sin, yes, we sin against a person. But even more than that, we sin against God. And God... The problem that we have is that God is God. He's holy. He's eternally holy. He's powerful beyond description. And he's perfectly holy, perfectly loving, but perfectly holy at the same time. So what's he supposed to do with sin? Is he supposed to condone it? Is he supposed to ignore it? Is he supposed to forget it? No, what he's supposed to do is judge it. That's what he's supposed to do. So what does God do? He says, I'll judge it, but I'll put the judgment on myself in the person of my son. You just got the message of the gospel if you get that. I'll put the judgment on myself. They don't have to pay their unpayable debt. For hundreds and hundreds of years, how did they do this? Bring an animal into the temple. Bring another animal into the temple. Kill the animal. Spill the blood on the altar. Appease the judgment of God year after year after year. Festival after festival after festival. Bring the animal. Slaughter the animal. Spill the blood. It will, it will cover the people's sins temporarily. So what does God do? He says, I'll put it on myself. That's the truth of Christianity. That's what we celebrate at Easter time. So we all have an unpayable debt. And at the same time, if we receive the forgiveness of God, and we truly have received the forgiveness of God, then the ethic of the kingdom is that we are quick to forgive people. Because... The debt that they owe us is nothing compared to the debt that we owed God. 
You say, you say, I cannot swallow that. You don't understand what they did to me. You don't know what he did to me. You don't know what she did to me. I cannot swallow that. If you cannot swallow it, then you probably have not got to a point where you realize how severe the problem is between you and God because of your own sin. I do not mean this harshly. I do not mean this in a condemnatory or a judgmental fashion. Every single person in this room, you have been hurt by somebody else. You have been sinned against by somebody else or perhaps by a group or groups of people. And there are things, I'm sure you could get up here and tell stories that would make people weep if they heard your story. And they would say, you have a justifiable right to be angry. You have a justifiable right to pursue personal vengeance against that person or that group. But when you release that right and you give it over to God, you know who gets set free first? You. You. Do you want to be that person who's always wanting to find that individual and choke them? I, let me tell you, some of the people who sinned against you, they could care less. They could care less. And when you hold that personal vengeance against them, you know who's winning? Them. You know who's abusing you over and over and over and over again when you can't forgive? Them. They did it to you once and they're doing it to you every day because you're looking for them to choke the life out of them. But when you release and you say, you know what? You don't owe me. You don't owe me. You know who you owe? You owe God. Have fun. <laughs> but you don't owe me. I'm not, I'm not pursuing you. I'm not trying to choke the life out of you because I forgive you. Just like that woman who said, I forgive that boy who just took my son's life. I forgive him. He's just a child. It's like Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They don't even know what they're doing. He's modeling this on the cross while they're driving nails into his body. And he says this. This is the ethic of the kingdom. So, you, this, this is so important to Jesus that he, he issues this warning, this really strong warning, because it's, you cannot uh, appreciate the message of the kingdom if you're not able to demonstrate it to other people. And so he puts paramount importance on forgiveness. As disturbing as this is to us, he puts paramount importance on on it. So how do you know when you've forgiven somebody else? And if the musicians could come and we'll, we'll just wrap up with a time of prayer here briefly so that we can get uh, closed up. They've got a movie playing in an hour, so I don't want to put too much pressure on us here. Uh, but I want to pray for us. How do you know that you've forgiven? How do you know? Because people ask that all the time. They say, well, you know, I prayed about it. And I said, Lord, I forgive this person for what they did to me. And I prayed it through. And, and, you know, I think I've forgiven that person. But how would I know? How do I know that I have? Well, I mean, if you look at the story, if you are the person who is still wanting to choke the life out of that one who hurt you and that one who sinned against you, if you had the opportunity and you had them vulnerable, right in front of you, what would you do? 
would you take the opportunity to demand that they pay you back or would you let them go so Paul says and he's quoting the Proverbs in the book of Romans if your enemy is hungry vulnerable what do you do feed him if your enemy is thirsty what do you do give him water and the, and the writer of the Proverbs, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. So you really, want, you really want to know how it works. Forgive the person. You'll drive them crazy. It's like, it's like putting burning coals on their head. They won't even understand how you could do that after, after what was done to them. And yet you're turning around and you're offering them in a practical way food water why because you've forgiven so picture that person in your mind's eye if you had that person if you had those people and you had them vulnerable what would you do if in your heart you say I know what I would do I'd give them food I'd give them water they owe me nothing I'm free from them then you're forgiven but if you in your mind's eye when no one was looking you take that person and you choke the life out of them. Then your prayer, you may have prayed about it, but you're not there yet. <laughs> you need to get to the place where you know in your heart they owe you nothing. Father, I pray for each person in the room today, each person watching online, those who are going to watch, those who are going to listen later. In the name of Jesus, you would disturb people. In the name of Jesus, you would speak to us, God, about the problem that we have with you. And God, we would come to you and say, forgive us, God. Have mercy upon us. We want to be recipients of your mercy, recipients of your grace, recipients of your forgiveness, that we would live that ethic with others that we would behave in such a different way than what is expected, that vengeance would not be ours, but it would be yours, that we by faith would walk in freedom with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you today. Thank you so much for coming out and for hanging in. Will you please visit with the Charbonneaus before you leave and just, just bless them. Ask them questions if you like. Remember, we've got the giving table in the front. You can pick up your receipts there as well. Remember to pick up your kids before you leave. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday today.